for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. We are getting precipitously close to the end of Rebel Season 1. We are not quite there yet. So today we are covering episodes 13 and 14 out of 15, Call to Action and Rebel Resolve. And if you're hoping that this would be like the first two out of a three-parter, you are in luck because that is what we are up to. We end on cliffhangers halfway between our episode today and at the end of our episode today. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's like a cliffhanger daisy-chained to a cliffhanger. And I don't know if the finale is going to be a cliffhanger because I haven't seen it. You know, I set this project up and we did this a lot in the Clone Wars where I'm like, all right, we got to carefully like manipulate around the episodes and do triple headers and single headers. And I kind of forgot that Rebels has so many connected episodes. Mm. But, you know, everyone loves a good cliffhanger. So let's get into it. Before we get started, we want to do a quick call out that the WGA SAG After Strikes are still ongoing. It has been almost the entire season of Rebels. (laughs) That's how we measure time. That's how I measure time now. (laughs) Six weeks? No, it's been like, you know, two-thirds of of, of Rebels season one. (laughs) So in order to not cross the picket line, even though Growing Up Skywalker is not a union podcast, you can really help us out by skipping the rewatch on Disney Plus this week. Hopefully we give you a detailed enough plot summary that you don't have to go over to DisneyPlus.com or, you know, any other TV provider, and watch the episodes. That just helps us to not drive traffic to platforms that are being stricken against, and hopefully give the writers and actors and creators that are part of the strike a little bit more leverage. Yep. Solidarity forever. And our guy, Tony Gilroy, who is the Andor creator, is making great strides and big speeches right now. And that's important because we're getting to Andor pretty soon. I love that for us. And I love that for him. And I love that for actors and writers and creators. Okay, let's get into the plot. Call to action, episode 13. We open on the Imperial headquarters where Minister Tua and Agent Callus and the Grand Inquisitor are all lined up to get a talking to from Grand Moff Tarkin. It is a talking at and it is a talking down to. He has come to do two things. Berate everybody <laughs> for letting the Spectres continue to terrorize Lethal with their rebellious ways and chew bubblegum. <laughs> And he's all out of bubblegum. He is so mean. He's so mean. <laughs> he's like, Minister Tua, you're a disappointment. You shouldn't be honored by my business. Agent Callus, you're a failure just in general. And if only we had a Jedi hunter, Grand Inquisitor, to clean out this Jedi problem, then maybe this would be solved. However, now I'm here and you can stop sucking and start doing your jobs. <laughs> So then we cut to the Spectres, who are making it very hard for them to do their jobs. They're in turn salty because even though they blew 
rogue governor Travis's cover and revealed that he's actually loyal to the empire and he was this honeypot luring insurgents into the empire's clutches. He was not taken off to be killed. They are actually like reverse honeypotting him. So now he has publicly joined with the empire and he's like, I realized the error of my ways. You should all join the empire. Also, he's offering a personal bounty on the specters. So Kanan hatches a plan to reverse, reverse honeypot, <laughs> and he wants to infiltrate an imperial comms tower and send a message about rebellion to the whole region. So they have access to a comms tower that will cover like the entire sector. So it's a big, huge comms tower, and it's like where all the traffic, comms traffic from Lothal goes, and then it goes to some other node. So they're hacking their local ISP. <laughs> They are. They are unfortunately doing it when Tarkin has already started his plan to make the Empire suck less at rooting out terrorists. <laughs> That's what his hat said. Yeah. Make the Empire suck less. <laughs> I mean, can't we all agree on that one? So he's covered Lothal in probe droids. And so at the same time that the Spectres are scouting out the comms tower, they're having to dodge these probe droids. So there's an amazing scene where one of them is about to find the Spectres speeder bikes and Ezra like six a Lothcat on it. And the Lothcat's like <laughs> and it takes out the probe droid. Great success except it does manage to get a screenshot of them speeding away so Tarkin knows that they're going to hit this comm tower. So then the plan begins. Kanan, Ezra, Sabine, and Zeb storm the tower. They get Chopper into the main communications array and he and Sabine need three minutes to install a data spike. But because it's a trap, they have less than one. The Empire is ready for them. As Sabine is installing the data spike, the Empire converges on the tower. They have ships and convoys. And Sabine is like, you said I would get three minutes. And Kanan is like, now you get one. Hurry up. And it's just like Sabine and Chopper both have very overworked IT vibes. Mm -hmm. And I do love it. She gets the spike installed. Kanan has everyone hustle up into the tower. They take the elevator so Hera can pick them up from the roof. But Kanan stays to cover their backs. So Kanan is in front of the door. He lightsaber stabs it so that no one can use it. And he has the entire Imperial leadership team in front of him. We've got Tarkin in a stupid helmet. We've got Kallus <laughs> in a similar stupid helmet that looks way better on him. We've got the Grand Inquisitor and a billion stormtroopers. And this is just what the Grand Inquisitor wants. Because Tarkin told him to take the Jedi alive. So they duel... Kanan is doing a little better than last time. The Grand Inquisitor is the Grand Inquisitor. So when Hera shows up in the Phantom and grabs everybody off of the roof, the Inquisitor has pinned Kanan to the double doors with the Force and disarmed him. And Kanan radios in and tells Hera to go and to leave him. And then she does. Mm -hmm. So the Inquisitor marches Kanan out that morning to meet Tarkin in handcuffs and they load him up into a conveyex and just then a signal comes in. It is Ezra delivering his transmission to all of Lothal. Mm -hmm. He tells the people to remember a time before the Empire stole their freedom and to rise up as one. 
And then, right as Ezra finishes his transmission, as Kanan is watching the comms tower from the conveyex, Tarkin gives an order to demolish the entire tower. Yeah. And it falls right as the transmission ends. And this episode ends in, like, static and silence. So Ezra says, it isn't over to Hera. And Hera says, no, it isn't. Definitely not. I'm going after my man. So I'm crying, and it's to be continued. So we move into the next episode. What happens in episode 14, Rebel Resolve? We start off in the streets of Lothal, and the security level has escalated. There is walkers marching every which way. There's a lot more troops on the street, which sucks for them because Sabine, Ezra, Chopper, and Zeb are on the roof. (laughs) And they jump on top of a walker. Everybody clambers in or on top of this thing. And Chopper starts trying to hack in, trying to get information about where Kanan is. He's hacking into the... Wi-Fi, I guess, on this walker. (laughs) The network. Yeah, sure. As Zeb is like riding on top of it, shooting other walkers, but there's nothing forthcoming. Yeah, the whole network's down. So they're walking along. Rogue walkers called in. It's getting real bad. They all climb aboard the roof and Hera comes by and picks them up. But at the very last second, they're like, where's Chopper? Chopper is still trying to hack the door open or hack the scomp port open. Zeb has to go in and grab him. No information, no positive vibes. Hera, back on the ghost, calls into Fulcrum, and Fulcrum says, Keenan knew the risks, and you got to let him go. He was a soldier. He sacrificed himself. The mission is larger. Oof. Hera tearfully relays this message to the rest of the ghosts, and they're like, okay. As There's a touching moment where Ezra goes in and finds Chopper like crying over Kanan's bunk. He's like, hey, I got a plan. Yeah, fortunately, everyone agrees that this is dumb and they need to go after Kanan anyway. So there's a great scene where all the kids run off. Like they all, they set off alarms and they do all these schemes so that they can all run off. They take the Phantom and run off and meet with Sicatro Visago, who is the arms dealer scheming Deveronian. And Ezra spills the beans that Kanan is a Jedi, Ezra is a Jedi too, and if Visago helps them, Ezra will owe Visago a favor. And Visago's like, this sounds great. Yeah, Ezra is pretty bad at negotiating. He really is. Well, he is like 15, so. Visago gives them the information that the Empire is now using courier droids, so they're basically doing uh, IP over R2s, where they take a, they take astromech droids and fill them with all the information they need and then send it into orbit and transmit it from there. Just fancier and fancier flash drives, this arc. That's what Star Wars, honestly, that's the Star Wars vibe in general. <laughs> fancier flash drives. So what do they do? They repaint Chopper to look like a flash drive. Classic. <laughs> so he gets aboard and they fly off. So Chopper is aboard this Articuins class like it's a mini Star Destroyer. And he just like plugs in and starts downloading data. And the the Imperial officers on the bridge are like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, (laughs) the ghost rolls in, starts soloing a boss fight, shooting everything. Chopper proceeds to overload his console and then do the thing that only droids can do, which is climb aboard an airlock while being chased by stormtroopers and be like, 
I don't breathe, suckas. He slams down a hallway. He opens all of the doors. He <laughs> yeets himself into outer space. He takes a whole train of stormtroopers with him. And then he rocket boots himself back to the ghost. I'd like to point out that at this point in our watch through, Chopper's kill count is quadruple digits. <laughs> this is this is when he ticks over from 995 to like 1,040. Amazing. He kills a lot of people. They catch him just barely, and he comically drops the astro- the Imperial astromech droid in the woods. But they fly off. They have the information they need, and the information is that Kanan is on board Tarkin's ship, the Sovereign, and he's being transferred to Mustafar, the place where Jedi go to die. But I'm, like, too nervous to actually do, like, a big Rebels theme song <laughs> right now. Yeah, so what's the game plan here? The Rebels are going to have to go uh, and take out the Sovereign, which is presumably a full-on Imperial Star Destroyer. Well, they're either going to have to get on board the Sovereign and rescue Kanan from there, or grab him in transit, or if they miss him while he's in transit, they're going to have to go to Mustafar, where I presume Darth Vader will Torture him until he dies? So this episode came out in 2014, which puts it coming out well before Rogue One and also well before The Force Awakens. And The Bad Batch. And yeah, like seven years before The Bad Batch. But uh, Rogue One came out end of 2015. This came out beginning of 2014. And so we haven't seen on screen Vader's castle on Mustafar in our universe, although in the linear watch through we're doing, we have seen it. Right, 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 right. Okay, so because we're watching in 2023, we have all of this other background material. So like, for example, in Bad Batch, we see Darth Vader in his cool executive suite on Mustafar, right? Uh, It's in Kenobi. In Kenobi. Right. Because he calls uh, several people to the office. (laughs) Yeah, so I was really noticing in this arc in particular how much more the gaps have been filled in for me as a new fan in 2023. We were watching some background coverage of these episodes, and someone asked Pablo Hidalgo, is Hera related to Cham Syndulla? And I was like, you oaf, you buffoon. Of course she is. And then Sam was like, yeah, but like you've seen Bad Batch. Because yeah. it came out in 2021. And Hera, in our universe, Hera's first appearance is in the pilot of Rebels. Mm. Whereas in a linear watch through, she is in Bad Batch. Gotcha. So yeah, I have all of this extra information from Kenobi and Bad Batch. I actually thought that the Grand Inquisitor was going to take Kanan to Mount Tantus, mm-hmm. where evil Dr. Hemlock could do some interrogation techniques on him. But no, they're skipping straight to Mustafar. Also, we haven't seen Dr. Hemlock, evil Dr. Hemlock, in like 10 to 12 in-universe years. So he might have like accidentally taken work home with him and died in his broccoli or something. (laughs) The broccoli murdered him? Yeah, because if he takes his hemlock and, like, doesn't wash his hands, he might contaminate his food. Okay. What a character to call back. He gets so few lines, (laughs) even in the Bad Bads where he's the big bad. But speaking of big bads, Mm. Grand Poobah Moff Tarkin (laughs) rolls in. Um, We glossed over the fact that, remember Arisco and Grint, the, um, the fat, dumb, and the skinny, dumb 
Imperial commandants who are like the mini bads and from the pilot and stuff. Oh, the the training officers for when Ezra yeah. goes undercover at the Imperial Academy. Uh, as Tarkin sits in his new desk, he's like, the penalty for failure is, well, show them. And the, <laughs> the Inquisitor decapitates them. Off screen. Oh, there's, wait, a, there's a frame. <laughs> we do see Agent Callus's face and he's like, oh, yeah. Agent Callus is like, oh, that could be me. Like, so at the very beginning... Tarkin is talking down to everyone. So we learn that Minister Tua is not the actual prime minister. She's like the sub-minister. And Governor Price, with a Y, is elsewhere. And so Minister Tua is a little bit off the hook because she's like, I am not capable of doing my boss's job. <laughs> and Tarkin's like, you still suck. And he turns to Callus, and Callus is like, I've exhausted every resource. These Tar- rebels are so elusive. And it's because they have a Jedi. And Tarkin's like, all right, cool. Good good blame deflection. I will get you more resources. And also, Grand Inquisitor, what's the deal with the Jedi? Like, yeah. Hurry yeah. it up. So when they all start working together, which we haven't seen since Empire Day. In Empire Day, when they blew up the, the new TIE fighter, it felt like Callus and the Inquisitor were working together. But this is the first time that they've been like 10 feet from each other. They're flying in together. They're ready to go. They're ready to make it happen. Even the Empire's offices have silos. <laughs> well, they do because they're all different organizations, right? Minister Tua is like the civilian administrator. Callus is secret police. Yeah, Callus is ISB. And the Grand Inquisitor is double secret, burn before reading and burn your eyes out, secret police. You don't even have enough clearance to talk to me. So it's like the CIA, the FBI, and the local cops Ooh. are all like... Sitting there arguing over jurisdiction, and then finally, like the president comes by and the just president. just slap, 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 slap. He just like three stooges them. It's like get your stuff together. So like the Secretary of Homeland Security or whatever. I feel like I feel like that's what Tarkin is. So last time we saw Tarkin on screen, and I mm-hmm. might be mixing this up. I think it was in Clone Wars, and he was an admiral. So the first time we saw Tarkin on screen, he was a captain in the Citadel arc. Oh, a captain. Yeah, he was just a captain. Then we see him a ton in Bad Batch, right? And by that point, he is an admiral and then a grand admiral. And by this point, he is a either Moff or Grand Moff. They called him Grand Moff Tarkin. So what that means is that he is in charge of the Outer Rim. Is that what Moff means? The Moff is like this supra-regional administrative structure. So the Empire starts... I'm, I'm making the hand gestures, which I, <laughs> I make more hand gestures on this podcast, I swear. Sam is doing the handy-wavy, timey-wimey thing <laughs> handy, over wavy, here. <laughs> so, so at the top is the Emperor. And then sort of to the side is Darth Vader. And under Darth Vader is the, the Inquisition. Uh-huh. Under the Emperor also is the Grand Admirals and the Grand Moffs. Okay. And the Grand Moffs each control a region of space, and the Grand Admirals do the control like a fleet. Okay. So you're tracing out like several columns here. Yeah. And so these guys are all in different columns, right? Because theoretically, the ISB probably falls not underneath a Moff. They fall underneath like some subsidiary branch that directly reports to the Emperor. Mm-hmm. The Inquisition reports to Vader. The Inquisition. <laughs> um, the Inquisitoris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then 
the Grand Moff's report to Tarkin so my or to under- Palpatine. My understanding of the galaxy is that we've got the core worlds where mm-hmm. Coruscant is. We've got the mid rim yeah. where like Naboo is. And then we've got the outer rim, yeah. which I think is where like Lothal and Tatooine and all of these very far off worlds are. So there are what, three Grand Moffs? No, no, no. Because of population density. There's a bunch in the core worlds. Oh, and there's so a hand like there's about probably about the same amount in the mid rim, and then there's a few in the outer rim. So it's like so it's like the electoral college in the U.S. It, yeah, they're like senators. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And that they represent? Mm, no, Spain. they're like representatives. Well, yeah, the, there's a density thing. So yeah, it's like the electoral college. Okay. And also, it's aspirational because the outer rim is not controlled by the empire. Totally, we saw that in Bad Batch that. Uh, a bunch of people are like, hey, the Empire doesn't control here. And the Empire is like, but actually. We saw that in Kenobi uh, when all the people were like, hey, Reva, get out of here. The Empire has no sway here. We're on Tatooine. We suck up to the huts. And Reva's like, yeah, but I have a sword. So I, I actually read that a little differently. I thought that the Star Wars economics lesson that we got was really interesting. You know, Tarkin gave us a little bit more backstory mm-hmm. on the importance of Lothal And it's because of the mining and the industry that's going on. And it's fueling the Empire's expansion into the Outer Rim. Mm -hmm. But when we watched Kenobi, I actually got a sense that the Empire had already expanded into the Outer Rim. I didn't get the sucking up to the huts thing at all. So it's when they expand out into the Outer Rim, it's a significantly larger area because we're presuming that the... Star Wars galaxy is like a spiral or a circular disc galaxy. Or like a pizza. Well, yeah, it's a so, pizza. So the core world is like the middle bit of the pizza it's where juicy. all the triangle points are. And it's juicy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all the cheese collects. But it's also, if you were to cut a pizza by just like taking a ruler from the center, going out like four inches and then slicing a circle epic, that's not a lot of pizza. Right. And then if you go out to like 11 inches... That's actually twice as much pizza. Yeah. And then the outer rim is like the crust. Yeah. And and this is like a 19-inch pizza. And who likes crust? But uh, yeah, I mean, that's where the huts live. But also, it's significantly more pizza to cover. And the Empire's cheese budget is only so big. <laughs> so this is a this is a pizza where they have like a cheese pyramid at the center and they're trying to goop it out to the crust. I can a hundred percent relate to this. This is the perfect analogy. Thank you. And so there's been feelers of cheese out to the crust (laughs) for the last 20 years, but it hasn't fully reached out all the way to reach a nice even level of cheese. It turns out that Palpatine should have probably worked in the service industry for a while. (laughs) So we've just got this really sad pizza. Really sad pizza. Oh. Unless you're at the top of the cheese pile like Palpatine. Or Tarkin, question mark? Yes. Well, Tarkin gets to yell and kill people for not doing their job to spread the word of cheese. So (laughs) I'm sorry. I completely lost my thought because that was really funny. (laughs) So circling back, let's go back before let's go pre pizza. Okay. Pre pizza analogy. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like Tarkin is really doing a good job and really moving up the ranks. Yeah, and part of that is in a lot of his lines that he says. So after Kanan gets captured, he's being tortured by the entire Imperial leadership. This is a like $10,000 hour meeting, having Tarkin (laughs) and the Grand Inquisitor and Callus and a torture droid torturing Kanan. And 
Tarkin says, you don't know what it takes to win a war. Mm. I do. And that's like really meaningful. And that is what Tarkin's history is. He won a war. Well, so I was actually going to ask you a question about that because I couldn't remember if in Bad Batch we find out what his grand plan is. We kind of, I mean, so there's still a forthcoming season of Bad Batch to presumably wrap all this up. But his grand plan was basically replace the clones with conscripted soldiers Mm -hmm. and then have the conscripted soldiers be everywhere all the time instilling fear and terror and everything. Because Tarkin is a hardcore fascist and his plan is differential application of the law. So that people never know when the law is going to come for them. It's just like there are stormtroopers around. And if they catch you doing anything illegal, they may or may not execute the penalty. And the penalty is always death. There's no recourse. There's no justice system. So you best behave. Otherwise, you may or may not die. Then he has his doctrine of fear and crushing hope. That's his leadership talks he has with Callus and Tua and the Grand Inquisitor, which is we must crush hope. It's not important that the leader is a Jedi. It's important that the people think the leader is a Jedi. Mm. And so we need to capture this Jedi and turn him similar to how we captured and turned Gal Travis. Because it's important that people, if they do rise up against the Empire, they either need to disappear quietly or loudly confess to their problems and see the light. Because we have to crush hope. And that's been Tarkin's thing ever since the Citadel arc. He's like... Fear and terror is how you win wars. You don't win them hearts and minds. You win them with, like, bodies and bullets. I mean, I think he is partially effective with this doctrine. Yeah. But even as you're describing this to me, what my mind is saying is that if stormtroopers are differentially applying the iron fist of the Empire, doesn't that encourage people to push their luck and see what they can get away with? Not if the penalty's death. Well, but if the penalty is sometimes death and sometimes they let you off the hook, then there's still an incentive to try. There's also a deeply corrupt system, which we saw in the earlier episode with R2 and C-3PO of Minister Tua being like, hey, I want these disruptors. She is the second in command and the acting first in command of Lethal, and she's running secret arms deals Yeah, for her own enrichment. And that's the thing is that like if you have the money to make the bribe, then you might get to live. It's a racketeering system. And the thing about racketeering is that it suppresses everyone's freedom Hmm. and it has this chilling effect. I just feel like Tarkin is leaving enough holes in this strategy for the little mice to slip through. And that's what we're seeing with all of these rebel cells popping up. There's that, and it's also that rather than winning hearts and minds, because he is using application of force for whatever reason, and I have a theory about that, um, there will always be people who are brave enough to stand up to it who will say, I would rather die than deal with this, and so I'm willing to put my life on the line. Well, that's the emotional heart of the episode, right? So yeah. Kane, it's important to note that Ezra, and I didn't talk about this in the plot summary because it wasn't super relevant, but it's relevant now. 
Ezra has been filled with dread this entire arc because he saw mm-hmm. his parents stand up loudly to the Empire and then they disappeared. And he's freaking out because he's watching Kanan being willing to do the same thing. And he's like, I can't lose another family. And Kanan has to tell him, you just have to plan for and be willing to sacrifice your life or watch others sacrifice their lives for something bigger. Yeah. And Ezra has a hard time taking that lesson. And I think Kanan has a hard time giving it. He even says, I didn't realize that when my master told me, and I didn't realize it until I'm telling you. So we're I'm both not, learning together. I'm not sure I understood that until now when yeah. I started teaching it to you. Ugh, talk about lines that made me tear up. Yeah. So Kanan is willing to sacrifice himself and all the specters are willing to put their lives on the line. And this actually goes to sort of the meta-narrative of who Tarkin is. Hmm. Here, so, so here's what it is. Tarkin was promoted and got so much power because he's fulfilling the way Palpatine wants to persecute this war, which is through fear, which is through death, because Palpatine is a dark lord of the Sith and he gains power from that. Mm. Palpatine doesn't want to win. He doesn't want to have everyone love him. He wants to have everyone fear him because he gains power from that. He specifically, he probably has like a red and obsidian and blood encrusted obelisk somewhere where he's like, yes, the power of the galaxy is empowering me. Every single orphan death gives me strength. So he wants to extend the suffering of the entire galaxy for as long as possible. For his own gain. Whoa! And that is why Tarkin is pursuing the strategy that like the US pursued in Vietnam in the 70s of like, it's not about winning people over. It's about dropping however many tons of bombs, dropping however many soldiers, getting however many soldiers to put however many bolts down range to get the number of kills necessary. God, that's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrifying. So what's scary about that is that on its face, like wars can be won with overwhelming force until they can't. Until your enemy is wily enough and slippery enough that they and has the capacity to thrive and keep fighting. But Palpatine also wins that fight because he controls an entire propaganda apparatus and every single thing he's like, this is the rebels doing. Even in the second episode of this, Visago thinks that the specters blew up the communications tower, which pisses him off. I noticed that. Mm -hmm. Because of course Tarkin would be like, yeah, blow it up, blame it on the rebels. It's fine. Like, I'll, I'll authorize these missile strikes. If anyone talks about it, I'll kill them. <laughs> <laughs> that brings up a really important line that Ezra has said multiple times throughout season one, which is, and I think Sabine has said this too, even when we win, we lose. Yeah. And that's how stacked the deck is against them, that every time they win a victory, we saw this with the Jedi in the Clone Wars too. Palpatine and the Imperial apparatus turns it against them. Yeah. So that had me wondering. The the big thrust of this arc is to get the transmission out to the people. But do you think that Ezra's message even worked? That's Ezra's big concern. And I think one of the most interesting things about that is that Ezra is the son of the voice of the resistance on Lothal. I know. I was really expecting him to name drop the Bridger family. I don't think he was ready to because of the conversation he had with Kanan about the last, when my parents spoke out against the empire, they died. 
And when Kanan spoke out against the empire, he was taken away from me too. This whole system of like trying to speak out, it took a huge effort of bravery for him to send out that message. And it's a transformative message because he said, my family were taken away because they spoke uh, against the empire and my current family would do that. But we are willing to fight because I found a new family and you can too. Yeah. That's what it's all about. The connection, the community is what fights this creeping fascism of the empire. I just have been really in a sick and twisted way admiring the empire's finesse with their fascism techniques this season. And it would have been more effective if Ezra had connected the Bridger transmissions to himself, Ezra Bridger, and it would have given him credibility and it would have given a sense that there's a long-standing rebellion against the Empire based on Lothal. I think that would have been more impactful. But he's 15. He's 15. And also, if I had been on the Ghost crew, I would have advised against that because Mm -hmm. it is giving the enemy more information than they need to track you down. They probably know who Ezra is, especially because Gal Travis knew. Well, Callus doesn't know. Callus doesn't know. Gal Travis does. So Callus probably knows now. Man, I was so salty. I really thought that Travis's jig was up. I spent a significant portion of last week's episode being like, his cover's blown. They can never use him again. And then they use and him. And then they just freaking used him. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ugh. But they can't use him as a honeypot anymore. He just They just used him as a, um, they burned him as an asset. He gets to live. But he he's now just, now he has to do his normal stupid senator day job. Disgusting. I hope it sucks. <laughs> Probably. Didn't seem like Padme was having <laughs> fun or Chuchi. They're like, ah. Yeah, but their jobs were fulfilling. Yeah, maybe. Gosh. They, they worked crazy hours. They were just hopped up. They never had time to eat dinner with their significant others. Not even that Chuchi had time for a significant other, which is BS. But, but they enough. had the satisfaction of a job well done. They do. What I love about just the idea of that is that, like, the actual wheels of government in the U.S. at least are run by, like, 22-year-old staffers. Oh, And then, like, there's the figurehead who's your 170-year-old, like – representative or congressperson who like does the speeches and naps and, and does you just do. feed them talking points to make them sound like they have any idea of what's going on and there's on. like each one of them has like 60 20 year olds being paid like 20 bucks an hour and maybe they, they can afford their suits and like to live in a hot bunk with their co-workers yeah they have, they have to. 18 other capitol hill intern roommates but in the star wars universe they just Skip the middleman, and they just have the like twenty something who <laughs> sleeps two hours a night actually be the senator. <laughs> I can't believe I wanted to be that person. Everyone wants to be that person because you want to have a positive effect on things, and that's why like the specters do what they do. And honestly, that's why Callus and Tua and Tarkin are doing what they're doing too. The Grand Inquisitor is doing it because he's a dark side twisted being, but. Tarkin thinks this is the right path forward. He's been groomed by Palpatine and by his own readings and writings to succeed forward. Like he wants to do this because he's a patriot. Everyone here is doing what they're doing because they're a patriot. Wow. They just have allegiances to different galaxies. Completely different galaxies and completely different ways of moving through the galaxy. And the message of order versus the message of hope. Mm. Yeah. 
Speaking of kind of some of those themes, I want to talk about a different aspect of this episode and a different set of characters. Okay, let's do it. Who are these other characters you want to talk about? Is it Arisco and Grint? Rip. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fat and skinny? Absolutely and skinny, not. Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they woke up that morning and they're like, we successfully pursued some rebels, but there were no casualties. And Tarkin's like, that's good information, but it's the last information you're ever going to give. I mean, that is super interesting. You picked up on the whole hope and order thing with Tarkin. Sorry, this is a side note. I picked up on Tarkin's point about how the rebels aren't dangerous unless they're united. Yeah. And so that's what got me thinking about this other set of characters, which Obvi is Hera and Fulcrum, who we meet for the first time. Did we meet Fulcrum? We see him like in a hood on a holocron. Is that not meeting him? I feel like if no no face no no meat. <laughs> what? No no meat no meat. That's the way it works. <laughs> until you until you. <laughs> I know that I know that in the post pandemic era you can meet someone on holocron or whatever, and that's almost the same as real life. But in this era, in 2014, when this came out, it's. If you don't, if you don't slap that flesh, you're not slapping that subscribe button on knowing this person. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, well then, who's Fulcrum? What's Fulcrum's first name? What's Fulcrum's no, favorite ice cream? I don't know who Fulcrum is. I just we see him and he's on, he's in his hood mm-hmm. and he's telling Hera that there's a larger mission. Yeah. And yeah. And so I don't know where I was going. That's with that. exactly what Tarkin is afraid of. Okay. Yes. Thank you. So Tarkin is saying. Basically, the rebels might be interesting and cool and doing fun things and trying to subvert the empire, but they lack the one thing that makes them a credible threat, which is unity. Mm -hmm. And so we take that and then we see Hera having a conversation with Fulcrum, who I thought was just someone who provided her with information. And it turns out that Fulcrum is giving Hera orders Mm -hmm. or at least relaying orders from a larger institution. So there is an organized rebellion. Hera is part of it. And her allegiance is not to Kanan, her husband, but to this rebellion. And there's a really important part of that. After Kanan's captured, Sabine is like, what if Kanan tells them about what's going about Fulcrum? And Hera's like, Kanan doesn't know anything. I mean, that was super interesting to me because Hera was 100% correct and accurate earlier in this season when Sabine was like, you need to tell me about Fulcrum. And Hera's like, I don't tell anybody about Fulcrum. And now we know she didn't even tell Kanan about Fulcrum. And when Kanan's getting tortured, which is a actually really good scene because like the Grand Inquisitor is holding his hand up and doing jazz fingers at him. And he's like, oh, oh I'm in such pain, pain at thinking about how frustrated you are that you're not getting information out of me. Amazing. <laughs> and um, and then Callus, being sometimes the only sane person in the room is like, yeah, maybe he doesn't actually know anything. And Tarkin's like, yeah, we'll take him away to Mustafar. And Cal's like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know anything. Like, 
It was so interesting because Kanan has been captured. And while I think this is a big blow for the Spectres, it doesn't feel like a devastating blow, especially because Kanan doesn't know anything about anything. It would have been a bigger, more devastating blow if Hera had been captured. Oh, definitely. I think it would have been endgame at that point. That would have been endgame. But also, um, there's a there's a little uh there's a little Easter egg if you read the Arabesh. As they capture Kanan, they're reading his crimes, and it's like terrorism, destruction of public property, piloting without a license. <laughs> I love that because, yeah, if they if they didn't have Hera, they couldn't do anything that they do. She's actually the one who enables them to do what they do. She could she could run around and be like, Zeb, I need you to get some other beefcakes because we're going to go beef a problem down. And that's like what Kanan kind of is like. He's the leader on the ground. But if he just had to go to ground and run around on his awesome swooped speeder bike every time. He wouldn't be getting anywhere. But with the ship, they're able to do stuff. Yeah. If Hera had been captured, there would be no one capable of piloting the ghost like she does. There would be no mom in the minivan to pick them up after soccer practice. Yeah. So they would have just been kind of kaput. They would have been surviving on frozen waffles. It would have been terrible. Just single dad energy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... I think Hera is super interesting in these episodes because she loves Kanan, Mm -hmm. but she will not disobey Fulcrum's orders for him. Her ultimate allegiance is to this bigger, broader, mysterious rebel activity, right? And that's kind of subversive. It is, but recall something that we get to know that Rebels watchers in 2014 didn't know which is that Eleni Sindula was the brains behind the operation as well. She was the one who was running the connections with Gobi Glee and holding the information from Hera, and Cham was the figurehead. Ooh. So from age seven, when Hera and Omega are blowing up Imperial bases and learning how to fly... Hera is like, ah, yes, I need to compartmentalize information from my eventual love interest terrorist partner because... Because that's what my mom did. Because that's what my mom did. And I need to be like, I need to stand next to a loud, flashy, explosive leading man and feed him exactly enough information to point him at targets to blow stuff up. He can pull his own jobs, too. I'm going to keep a separate tally because the way you're a terrorist is a bunch of interacting webs that don't actually intersect, so you can't get rolled up at all. I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) Sam can see it, but nobody else can. And this is absolutely delightful to me. The mother-daughter connection through lineage is so powerful, especially when they are trying to overthrow the Empire. Yeah. Amazing. Imagine being raised by someone to be a terrorist. Like the skill set you have is so interesting. My gosh, I love that because in some of Cory Doctorow's books, there's people who are raised to do that because uh, especially the book Little Brother, which is fantastic. This idea of your parents being like, hey, no matter what you do, you got to be willing to overthrow the government. (laughs) Like you gotta, you gotta have the skill sets to run a secret network and here's how, and those are like not skills that school's going to teach you, but they're, and they're not hard either. They're just things that you have to be thinking about. But once you've opened your mind to thinking outside the system, then 
you're ready to overthrow it. Well, so here's something interesting. We see two different examples of this, and one of them is successful, and one of them I would say is less successful. Mm-hmm. Harrison Dula was part of her Sindula Freedom Fighter family and visibly saw her parents doing a lot of active things to oppose the empire, right? And they seem to have at some point taken her into the inner circle and at least showed her what they were doing. Now she's an incredibly successful, cool, pilot, rebel lady who has a very clear sense of what she needs to do to be successful. On the flippity flop, we have Ezra Bridger. Mm -hmm. And Ezra Bridger's parents did what they did underground and in secret Mm -hmm. and away from him and then were just mysteriously taken away. So Ezra was too outside of their activities and now is too traumatized by their disappearance to have really been able to lean into their legacy. So I think there is like a right way to raise a future terrorist and maybe like a less successful way. Well, I don't think the Bridgers wanted to raise Ezra to be a terrorist. I think they wanted him to raise him to be someone who thought for himself and Mm. who had that like love and understanding and the fact that that was taken from him. Whereas Hera is an infant during the Clone Wars. And so from age two or whatever, she's been spirited away in the dead of night under gunfire. And Ezra had a loving life and his parents had a secret life. And then when they were gone, just disappeared out from under him. And there was no effort to like, because the Empire could have come in, they could have raised Ezra and been like, whatever the voice of freedom the Bridgers were, here's their son who speaks, who we've raised to be an ISB agent or something. Yeah. So the fact that Ezra got away and is doing his own thing and is also force sensitive, I think shows a very different path. I'm reminded of the story of Imam Shamal, who in Sabres of Paradise, which is a true story, takes place in the Caucasus in the 1800s. He was this terrorist. He was this war leader of this region that Russia was trying to take over. And Russia captured his son and raised him to be like the czar's personal bodyguard. And so when they let him go back to visit his father, he's used to living in 1800s czarist St. Petersburg. He's incredibly wealthy. He's given up on Islam. He's like cavorting with women and drinking. And he goes back to his father, who's this aesthetic man who lives in a monastery up on the top of the mountains. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. That's what the empire could have done to Ezra, but their callousness let him go free. Yeah, the empire doesn't have any understanding or interest in family. So like, even if they had thought to take in Ezra and turn him against the rebels and to the empire, I think they just would have shoved him in Imperial Cadet Academy and turned him into some faceless stormtrooper. I don't think they would have understood the power of lineage Mm -hmm. and the power of someone saying, I am a Bridger and I joined the Empire. They just would have erased his identity and turned him into a faceless mook. And that's what Tarkin's plan has been this whole time. Instead of having the lineage of Jango Fett, I am a clone in the lineage of Jango Fett. You are a faceless mook from mm-hmm. Lethal, from Backwater Mustafar, from doesn't Tatooine, matter. from Coruscant. It doesn't matter. You're a stormtrooper now. And that is your life. And you are continuously part of the indoctrination of performing crimes with your fellow stormtroopers. So now you are indoctrinated into it. Now there's no escape for you. So 
finishing my thought on lineage and on family and on your connection to your family and what you owe your family, the last thing that I wanted to talk about with Hera Mm -hmm. was that it is interesting and I think very real that she is not perfectly obedient to Fulcrum because there's a lot going on where she – so she has this mission from from Fulcrum, which mm-hmm. is super interesting that she has a mission at all. And the mission is to be unseen and unnoticed. Yeah, go to ground. And she's definitely not been doing that because she's been with Kanan and with the Spectres. And for at least months now, they have definitely not been unseen or unnoticed. They have been running games against the Empire. It feels like that mission is – just all of a sudden now, after doing this transmission, that that was too loud and they need to go to ground now. I heard it as your mission was to be unseen and unnoticed, and yet you've been running around with Kanan, mm, okay. and he's been doing all these big plans with the comms tower and with inciting people against the Empire, and that was already too much. And now you've really crossed a line, mm, and yeah. you need to go to ground now. And then... Hera doesn't specifically go against this plan until the kids all ran off and made their deal with Visago. And, and then, then she's mad, but she goes along with the plan. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Whatever the plan is. Whatever the plan is. So it's also interesting to me that, like, Fulcrum is not interested in Kanan. Because Kanan, like, whatever. Kanan made his decision. He's mm-hmm. off over there. Fulcrum seems to be very interested in Ezra. Mm-hmm. So now I'm getting really suspicious. I'm very amused at withholding the information of who Fulcrum is from you. Okay. It is really the high point of my week. Really? Yeah. Everything that I know about Fulcrum is just what Sabine was guessing in the Out of Darkness episode, which Mm -hmm. means I know nothing. Yeah. But now I'm getting really suspicious. Like, maybe there's a prophecy about Ezra. A prophecy? Yeah. Is he the Lothcat one? (laughs) Is he the one who controls the Lothcats to rise against the Empire? <laughs> that would be so fun. No, I don't know. I just, I am suspicious. Good. Keep that up. Okay. Suspic- suspicion keeps you alive in an era of terror as the mm. Empire spreads its reach everywhere. Remember the era of hope, but be suspicious of friends bearing gifts and friend- and enemies bearing gifts. You ready for some Baywatch? I'm ready for some Baywatch. Let's do some Baywatch, Baywatch, Baywatch. All right. For this week, my Bay is going to be Kanan Jarrus. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Why? Uh, for coming up with the mission executing the mission, being willing to sacrifice himself. And then there's a moment at the end where he's like, I'm going to actually surrender, which is going to surprise everyone. And then he unsurrenders and then resurrenders after he actually gets beaten. He has been practicing his lightsaber as commented upon by the Grand Inquisitor. And then when he's being tortured, he's like, yeah, I don't actually know anything. Like you can do all you want to me. That's not the point. The point is that I got this message off, and that is the spark of rebellion, which Mm. really matters here. It is interesting that he doesn't know anything, but I really appreciate that he gave Ezra all the advice he needed to make things happen, and but then he lied, and that's tough. 
when he sends everyone up in the uh, elevator right behind him. And he says, I'll be right behind you. And then he stabs his lightsaber through the keypad and definitely is not going to be right behind them. Yeah, he's definitely like, this is going to put in a maintenance order on this one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the maintenance order, which is then canceled because they blow up the whole comm tower. <laughs> the Imperial, mean, that's a heck of a work order. The Imperial <laughs> bureaucracy is going to get those in the wrong order. They're going to send someone out to rebuild the door and then the whole comm tower. Oh, no. But the everything in this episode is from Kanan's actions. Everything is pulled forward as he makes these decisions, as he does the sacrifice, and that is the heroic rebel thing to do. And he seems to be the person who connected them with Visago too. So yeah. the fact that they're able to get the information they need to rescue Kanan is also a result of Kanan's grand schemes and plans. So despite the fact he doesn't know anything, despite the fact that he's clearly not the point of contact for the greater rebel network, he's still a critical rebel. And yeah. I appreciate that. And also, like, he's he's brave. He's not foolhardy. He's enthusiastic. And he makes things happen. It's good yeah. stuff. And he helped to equip this incredibly competent, functional, miniature rebel cell who are now equipped. They now have everything that they need to go after him well. Yeah. So, yeah, he 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 has really done kind of the most. Yeah, and if he were to die at the hands of the Inquisitor or whatever right now, it would be tragic, but it wouldn't cut short anyone's growth. He's given them enough lift to keep moving forward. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Who's your bae? Well, I was going to go with Sabine uh -huh. because she does have the attitude in this arc, and I do love it. There's that moment where someone... I think it's Ezra. He says to her, you're going to disobey Hera's orders? And she's like, eh, were they orders or more like her opinion? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, amazing. I do love that for her. She also like does this really cool old Western pistol spin at one point with both hands. Oh, yeah. She she shoots a lot of stormtroopers. And she does her job that she estimated would take five minutes in one minute. Yeah. Incredibly competent. Okay, so I was going to go with Sabine until the last four minutes of the second episode because Chopper is so good oh. and he's got the range. Yeah, I love, yes. He's got the range this arc. The entire infiltration scene is so incredible. The rocket boot escape through space is perfection. And then... So the astromech, the Imperial astromech droid that Chopper has replaced, they've just kept because they, why not? Because they liked him. And uh, Zeb starts really taking a fondness to this astromech droid because it like puts out a fire that Zeb is like on fire and the droid comes by. And, and he's not that. sassy and salty and on a short trigger of rage the entire episode. He's so at, just very good at his job. So at the very climax of Chopper's escape from this cruiser, he's like rocketing. He's using all of his fuel. He's got his arms up like Superman <laughs> and he's trying to grab this this ladder, this thing to grab onto. And he's inside just like of the ghost. inside the ghost. He's like ee, inching towards it and he finally grabs it and they fly off into this hard swoop into the atmosphere and uh everyone's like good job chopper and zeb's like and this little guy he we're, did all right too we're, we're gonna, gonna keep, keep him. him and then chopper's like no chopper <laughs> belly bumps the rival astromech through the floor down into the wheat fields of lethal <laughs> where he communes with lothcats presumably for the rest of his life <laughs> Sam just laughed so hard he just like collapsed everything oh on the my table. Gosh. 
it's such a funny scene. And then Zeb's like, should have seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Chopper's like, no, I'm the only droid. I, only I can be this heroic. I'm I'm the hero droid. It was just so good. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is so upset about Kanan that Ezra comes in while he's staring at Kanan's bunk and Chopper just like cat bumps his head into Ezra and is weeping in Astromech. Yeah. Oh. And then, of course, is ready to start a plan, even though he's relatively incompetent because Hera twigs onto the fact that there's a scheme going on in about 25 seconds. Yeah, but, but it gives them plenty of time to enact their scheme with Visago. So did Chopper fail? And the no. plan worked much better because Hera was there. So really, Chopper did the most. Chopper did the most. He's definitely my bait this week. Well, Good stuff, Chopper. I'm glad you grabbed him because Kanan doesn't really have much in the second episode and Chopper doesn't really have much in the first episode. So we yeah, got it. Perfect. Love it. Well, we have some very fun news for you. Last week, we spent our time polling across all of our social media platforms and talking to all of our friends in real life and asking them, okay, we're going to hit an inflection point right after Rebel Season 1. Our path could fork. Technically, in BBY5, Rebel Season 1 is happening. Rebel Season 2 is happening. So is and or season one. Mm-hmm. So we asked the people, what should we watch after Rebels season one? Should we keep going with Rebels or should we go into Andor? And the people have spoken and the people have spoken loudly. They want us to watch Andor. I want us to watch Andor. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So next week, we're going to watch the finale of Rebels season one. What is it called? Fire Across the Galaxy. Oh. Some faces will be revealed. The uh, The Disney Plus little logo for the season one of Rebels is Darth Vader. So maybe he'll make an appearance Whoa. finally. And uh, yeah, we're going to light this galaxy on fire. So we've gone from a spark of rebellion to a galaxy-wide fire. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And then we're going to be watching season one of Andor. Wow. Pretty cool. It's going to be a tone shift and it's also live action. And it's also um, not fun. <laughs> oh. It's it's more like Kenobi. I loved Kenobi. Good. Then I thought Kenobi was fantastic. You're in for a treat. Andor is fantastic and it's underrated and I'm really excited. Cool. Well, until then, if you want more Growing Up Skywalker, you can find us on all of our social media channels. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Threads. We are on... We'll just call it Twitter. We'll just call it Twitter. I'm honestly so tired of pandering to Elon Musk, so I'm just going to call it Twitter. Only, like, yeah. If Twitter.com still directs to Twitter.com, have you really renamed your platform? No. No, No, change your URL, chicken. Are they still (laughs) called tweets? If yes, it's still called Twitter. Yeah. So we're on Twitter. Thank you for those of us who voted in our Twitter poll, by the way. We got, like, a ton of action on that. Also, if you want bonus audio content, you can become one of our patrons. On our Patreon, we have two years of backlog of fun, funky, fresh, full of profanity 
bonus stuff that we have been recording for your listening pleasure, and we are keeping the train going. So for as little as $3 a month, you can hop on the train with us. And send this episode to someone who is bringing a message of hope. Aw, that's nice. And send it to someone who... When they see you're up to a scheme that you tried to exclude them from, they're just like, get in, losers. We're blowing up the empire. (laughs) Yes, that too. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.